The Janice Daniels Show. Janice Daniels Show. Repeat after me. America is a republic, and there's nothing democratic about the Democrat Party. Let's get our words right, people. She's tough. What part of shall not infringe don't you legislators understand? Read the Constitution. Read the Bill of Rights. Read the stupid so-called laws that you guys sign your names to. Your focus is shameful. She's smart. And besides, what have you legislators done that gives you power over us? Trick the people into electing you? Swearing an oath that you don't seem to understand or follow? She's tenacious. I say bring the Electoral College to the county level for all national elections so Michigan isn't governed by sanctuary jurisdictions like Wayne and Washtenaw counties. She's sassy. Michigan has a big problem. We have too many people who exhibit seditious behavior in elected office and that needs to change. I'm hoping against hope we can change the change. Let's talk about some of this stuff on the Janice Daniels Show. This could be fun. And now, your host, Janice Daniels. Independence is a fragile thing, you know. It has to be protected at all times, in all places, if it's to endure. No one thought that David could slay Goliath to secure the independence of the Israelites, but he did. Few of us believe that we the people can restore our American Republic to secure our independence, but we can. So I say never give up, never give in. Masks represent enslavement. Fresh air represents freedom. God was on David's side and God is on our side. Happy Independence Day, July 4th, 2020. Now, it was on July 3rd, 1776, when President John Adams wrote to his wife, Abigail, a letter that included the following statement. The second day of July, 1776, will be the most memorable epic in the history of America. I'm apt to believe that it will be celebrated by succeeding generations as the great anniversary festival. John Adams goes on to say, it ought to be commemorated as the day of deliverance by solemn act of devotion to God Almighty. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade, with shows and games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other, from this time forward, forevermore, end quote. Now, most of this audience knows that John Adams was America's first vice president and second president, and so therefore his wife Abigail was America's first second lady, and the second first lady. I like that. So now both President John Adams and First Lady Abigail Adams were considered to be indispensable founders of this great nation that we call America. Now I found that John Adams quote that I just shared with you on the first page of Dr. Larry Arnn's book called The Founder's Key that has a byline on the front cover that reads, the divine and natural connection between the Declaration and the Constitution and what we risk by losing it. Now this book was written in the year 2013 by Dr. Larry Arnn the president of Hillsdale College, and it was published by Thomas Nelson Incorporated, which is a registered trademark of HarperCollins Christian Publishing Corporation. And uh, in my humble opinion, I think it's an important addition to your Liberty Library. So now on last week's episode of the Janice Daniels Show, that was June 27, 2020, I began examining the petition initiative to amend Michigan's constitution that's referred to as the Restore Freedom Initiative. 
Now, in that analysis last weekend, I mentioned that Dr. Larry Arnn said that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution must be viewed together, and that I was certain that he said it in a much more eloquent way than what I was saying it at the time. Well, this past week, I found my copy of Dr. Arnn's book, The Founder's Key, The Divine and Natural Connection Between the Declaration and the Constitution and, and What We Risk by Losing It. Now, that's where I saw that Dr. Arnn presents his eloquent argument for keeping these documents firmly connected to each other. Now, he begins this book, The Founder's Key, by informing us of the fact that America is uncommon in that it has a birthday, July 4th. He says that July 4th is a specific day marked in memory of specific things done by specific people in a specific place. But it's also a day for the ages and for everywhere. He says, and I quote, what these people, and he was referring to the American founders, what these people did, they did in the name of something universal and transcendent. In the combination of those two qualities, our nation's birthday is unprecedented, end quote. I told you Dr. Arn was much more eloquent than I am. And I wanted to give you a couple of excerpts from the Founder's Key before I get back to examining yet more of the specific changes that would be made to our Michigan Constitution if this petition initiative referred to as Restored Freedom is adopted. Dr. Larry Arn says on page 11 of the Founder's Key that our founders understood that the, that the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution stem from the same source, and I'm certain he's referring to Almighty God, as that same source, and he goes on to say that these two documents should be connected, and I quote, to supply together the principles and the details of government to be a persuasive and durable unity, end quote. He also said, and again I quote, the early leaders of the progressive movement, Wilson, Dewey, Goodnow, and their friends were opponents to both of those documents and that President Franklin Delano Roosevelt found a way to divorce the documents by means of the so-called fourth branch of government, the administrative state. Now on page 121, Dr. Arn states that, again I quote, Today we proceed by rules detailed to the point of incomprehensibility passed by administrative agencies that combine legislative, executive, and judicial powers in the same hands, end quote. Now as I continue through the actual reading and, and my personal analysis of the language of that petition initiative that you might have already been asked to sign called Restore Michigan, see if you think that you really want to support these changes to our already badly mangled, in my humble opinion, Michigan Constitution that was originally written in 1835. Now, that was two years before Michigan became a state. Then that Constitution was first amended in 1850. Then it was amended again in 1908 and amended again in 1963 and then amended yet again in 2018. Now, 2018 is the year that I call the election of the subversives, and I include Gretchen Whitmer, Dana Nessel, 
Joycelyn Benson, Rashida Tlaib, Elissa Slatkin, Haley Stevens, Ilhan Omar, and a host of other subversives. And I would put Debbie Dingle and Andy Levin, in my humble opinion, with a host of others in that basket called Useful Idiots that were elected in 2018. But that's my opinion. And this is an opinion show. It's called the Janice Daniels Show. My name is Janice Daniels, so that is my opinion. Now, after we're done studying this uh, Restore Freedom petition, see if you think the petition initiative language actually enforces the limitations on government's functions or if it better represents the expansion of the administrative state. Now, I said last weekend, and I'll say it again, the Constitution isn't some sort of cookbook that we just add new recipes to just because some great cook seems to think that they have a better way to make chip beef on toast or something. We the people, we are the guardians of the Constitution, and as such, we have a duty to examine and stop every new piece of legislation that's dreamed up if it does not define and limit government's functions. Now, we're going to have to, at the same time, labor tirelessly to educate ourselves on our great founding documents. According to Dr. Larry Arn, again, on page 21 of The Founder's Key, the Declaration of Independence shows imagination and eloquence, and the other, the Constitution, shows order and balance. Those are powerful, wonderful concepts. Imagination, eloquence, order balance. Thank you, Dr. Larry Arn. Now, last weekend, I ended our analysis in Article 5, which is supposed to limit the functions of the executive department of the Michigan governor, government, and the governor is the executive department. So um, right now, that department is headed by the tyrant, Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Now, last weekend, again, we examined the changes that were requested to be made in Section 5. So now we're going to proceed to the changes requested to be made to Section 29, which, of course, that entire section was added in 1963. Now, I want to go back and do a little history of sections of these constitutions and how they get added and subtracted. In 1908, the last section in the executive department was Section 22, And that referred to the state civil service. Now, state civil service, that sounds a little bit like a part of that nebulous march toward the administrative state. You know, the 21st century was a time of great usurpation of America's founding principles, and we need to change that in the 21st century. Now, Going further back, in 1850, the Michigan Constitution, the last section of the executive department was section 19, and that referred to, and I quote, commissions issued to persons holding office under the provisions of the Constitution, end quote. quote. Now, I like that because it refers to the Constitution, and um, basically when a person was appointed to their constitutionally limited executive department functions, the head of the department, and that's who we call the governor, would issue a formal document called a commission that would then have to be constitutionally appropriate in the tasks that that person was to do. That's my take on it anyway. 
So back again in 1835, the Michigan Constitution that was written before Michigan even became a state, the last section in the executive department was section 21. And that also referred to commissions, but it was kind of in a less wordy way uh, than the 1850 version. But we see throughout history, even in the constitutions of the state of Michigan, we see governments granting governments extra constitutional functions by manipulating and mangling words, adding and subtracting sections and sentences, rules and procedures, regulations and requirements to the point where today we are buried alive in the law as it crushes and smothers us into forced enslavement and servitude, thereby killing liberty and enshrining tyranny. Remember, masks represent enslavement. Fresh air represents freedom. If you want to wear a mask, in my humble opinion, move to China. If you want to be free, stay in America and take off that stupid-looking dangerous mask that the government and, the, and their evil allies are telling you to wear. And you know what? The government can kiss my Article 1, Section 1 political power that is inherent in we the people, and that would be with a great big kiss and then kneel to we the people. That's the structure of American government. Now, back to Article 5, the next section proposed to be changed is Section 29. And, of course, that was added in the 1963 march toward the administrative state. That section is called the Civil Rights Commission. Now, we don't have time to get into the pros and cons of civil rights or how many of us think that civil rights have actually been used over time to deny us of our God-given rights protected and defended by our constitutions. But for today's purpose, um, an overview of what's being done in this change is that the Civil Rights Commission is abolished. Okay, but the legislative, or, or rather the, the uh, investigative, the investigative and prosecutorial authority granted to this commission of eight people is transferred to one person, the Attorney General of the state of Michigan. Now, if that consolidation of extra constitutional authority alone doesn't scare you into not supporting this petition, I don't know what will. I truly don't. I don't know what will. So we're going to move on to the Judicial Department, and that's Article 6. Section 1 is proposed to be altered by giving the judiciary authority as expressed in other parts of the Constitution. That's the words that um, are used, expressed in other parts of this Constitution. Now that means the Constitution with, it, with its newly added thousands of words, so we really don't even know what it all means until we work our way through the 2,340 or so new words added to Section 9, 10, 11, and 12 of Article 3 called General Government. But, you know, that sounds good. Yeah, let's uh, only give the judiciary authority as expressed in other parts of the Constitution. And, you know, that might be good. We might want the authority of the judiciary to be found in the Constitution, I would say so, except unless the Constitution is made unconstitutional by amendments to it. And therein lies the danger. Now, this article 
section goes on to remove the authority, if you will, that the legislature has to establish new courts by a two-thirds vote of both houses. Takes that right out and replaces it with the following words. No other courts shall be established by law and no other public body shall exercise judicial powers unless expressly provided in this constitution which again is being mangled to the point that it's almost impossible to read it and it could be unconstitutional. So I don't like sentences like that. Then section 13 of article six, which again is the judicial department, section 13 is changed to assign original jurisdiction to probate district and appellate courts. Now, I don't understand all of this. Maybe you do. But you know what? When the people in general cannot understand why our Constitution is being changed, then we shouldn't allow it to happen until or unless we fully understand it and then find those changes to be constitutional in the original sense of that word. Now, Section 15 is called probate courts, districts. They add the word courts and jurisdiction. So here's the one part that I want to read to you. Parents have the right and responsibility to raise their children. Oh, thank you. You know, um, do we really need a constitutional amendment to say that? Parents have the right and the responsibility to raise their children? I would say so. It goes on to say then, thus, in all matters involving custody, the court shall make a determination on legal and physical custody and parenting time, but not on the minute details thereof. It goes on to say, if the evidence presented demonstrates an inability of the parties to resolve conflict, large and small, the court shall make a sole physical custody and sole legal custody, deter custody determination according to the best interest of the child or the children. Now, that's really similar to the language of the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of the Child. Uh, we might have to get into that someday, but right now that's just percolating in the background. This is front and center. So my question is, why would we want our Constitution to grant authority to the Judicial Department regarding who has control over our children? Remember, the Constitution is, is written to limit the functions of the government. Now, I'm not saying that society doesn't have a God-given obligation to protect children. Of course we do. All children. We have to protect all children. And as adults, we the people, the local community, should be able to work with our local hospitals and our local law enforcement communities to do just that. Do we really need the state to have constitutional authority over our children? I honestly don't believe that this is the proper way to organize a government of, by, and for the people. Now, I know that it's happening right now because bad law has gone unchallenged. But the remedy is not to add more bad law on top of bad law. The remedy is to demand fidelity to our original constitutions. Now, moving on to section 19, that removes or alters a bunch of qualifications of judges, but it keeps what I see as the age discrimination sentence that was added in 1908. Now, that sentence says, no person shall be elected or appointed to a judicial office after reaching the age of 70 years. 
Now, there's a whole bunch of websites that you can go to that talk about the life expectancy in 1908, and none of them that I found to be a definitive source. But it seems that, generally speaking, life expectancy for men in 1908 was around 50 years of age, and for women it was around 53 years of age. So I don't even see why the drafters of the 1908 amended Constitution even had to add that sentence that says no person shall be elected or appointed to a judicial office after reaching the age of 70 years. Most people didn't. And, and, and if it were to say that, if it were to say that, then to update it to the year 2020, when the life expectancy of a man is about 80 years of age and the life expectancy of a woman is about 83 years of age, this sentence should be updated to say that no person shall be elected or appointed to a judicial office after reaching the age of 100, which is consistent 20 years after the average life expectancy of a man or a woman. I just don't understand this stuff. Uh, it, to me, that is just called age discrimination. So, um, but moving on to Section 26 of Article 6, we're still in Article 6, the Judicial Department. Section 26 abolishes court, circuit court commissioners, justices of the peace, and statutory courts. Now, I don't know what a circuit court commissioner is in the first place, but I looked it up. And it's kind of difficult to find out because there's a whole bunch of stuff about the Michigan judiciary and all that they do and all that they want to do and all that they say. But um, I wasn't able to find anything that specifically said what a definition of a circuit court commissioner was. So then I found a one of those like um, ask question type format websites that... Um, that said that um, commissioners can perform judicial duties involving the determination of contested issues only upon the stipulation of the parties, but with that stipulation, they have the same powers as judges, which means that a commissioner has the same power as a judge to hear a court case and make legally binding judgments as long as everybody agrees to a commissioner. So um, then this article goes on to say that people who decide to become commissioners are particularly useful to the judicial system in that they free judges to focus more time and energy on complex issues requiring their expertise. And it says being a commissioner is a significant responsibility that can provide invaluable experience for a career in the judiciary or in politics. Now, then they also in this section abolish justices of the peace. Now, we all know what a justice of the peace does. They marry people, and uh, they are not necessarily of a religious um, sort, uh, so I don't understand why this um, section should be abolished. Why should justices of the peace be abolished? How are we going to restore freedom by abolishing people that can marry people? I don't understand that. Um, and then I really couldn't find any any important or relevant information on what the heck a statutory court is. But before I would want to agree to abolishing them, I'd want to know what they are, wouldn't you? You know, I, I mean, I actually believe that, quite frankly, the entire judicial department does need a revamping. I'll agree with that. But do we start with these three layers that seem potentially closest to the people? And why were statutory courts added to Section 26 and then abolished with the circuit court commissioners and justices of the peace that were already in that section? I don't know. 
There's another change to Section 28 to some administrative action that was added again in 1963. It changes 151 words that describe the role of some administrator or another regarding private rights or licenses. Um, and it says, no administrative officer or agency may act to affect the private rights or licenses of individuals. Okay, whatever. We added that to the Constitution in 63. We take it out in 2020. I'm not so sure that matters that much. But is this really the stuff of our Constitution? There's a lot more research that we have to go through, um, a lot more changes in the so-called Restore Freedom Initiative to amend our Michigan Constitution yet again. But while we're gathering together to celebrate so-called Independence Day, I want to know, are you socialist distancing? Yes, you heard me right. It isn't social distancing that we're encouraged by the globalists to do. It is socialist distancing. Thank you, J.S. Are you wearing your enslavement mask? Yes, you heard me right. Masks represent enslavement. Fresh air represents freedom. Speaking of fresh air, we're working through this petition language to give it the fresh air that it needs so that we can make a fully informed decision about whether it really restores freedom or advances the administrative state. Oh, by the way, I'll take a hamburger, please. Well done with cheese. No onions. And can somebody bring me a, an adult beverage? Stay with us. Thank you. We'll be back after the break. Let freedom ring. Let the white dove sing. Let the whole world know that today is a day of a reckoning. Let the weak be strong. Let the right be wrong. Move the stone away. Let the The Janice Daniels Show. Janice Daniels Show on Wham Talk 1600 and 92.7 FM. Tell me, people, what better way is there to spend an hour of your time on Independence Day than to actually conduct the due diligence that's required of a free people to remain independent of an all-consuming, overbearing government that has lost its way? and has confused its obligation to secure our independence with the powerless desire to build an impenetrable administrative state. What better way could you be spending your Independence Day afternoon? I know this stuff is tedious. I know it is. Believe me, it's tedious for me as well. But I know um, that this is something that we must do. It's our responsibility, and we have to take this responsibility very seriously. So I thank you for joining me on the Janice Daniels Show, where we can explore these issues of great import. We are the Davids, you know, and, and, and the ever-expanding administrative state is our Goliath, and our Goliath is global. But I say, the more difficult the challenge, the more glorious the victory. So we got to keep working really hard. We've got to. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of reminded of a quote that's attributed to Plato. He was the author of The Republic. Now, I never learned about Plato's Republic in my public school education, but I um, always liked this one sentence that I saw. Um, one of the penalties for refusing to participate in politics is that you end up being governed 
by your inferiors. Nay, I say, nay, I won't let that happen. So um, even though I didn't get the education that I needed in my public indoctrination that we commonly call public schools, um, I can do the research now, and I will, and I do, and I love it. So, in fact, that led me to some um, YouTube clips that I found that discuss Plato's book, The Republic, and it talks about justice. And, and one of the lines that I read in, in one of the clips that I watched was that if justice is a virtue of the soul and following virtue leads to happiness, injustice cannot bring true happiness. Now, remember, the purpose of the law is to prevent injustice. And I wonder if Frederick Bastier read Plato's Republic. I wonder if Thomas Jefferson read Plato's Republic. You know what? I, I'll bet they both did. Um, continuing our work, we're going to do before the break. We left off. Basically, we completed the um, discussion about the sections that had been changed that we didn't focus on last week. Now, I know that 99% of this stuff really seems to advance or reorganize or expand the administrative state in some way or another. And I don't really understand why we would want to do this. I, I honestly don't. Um, and now, last week when I was talking about these sections, I skipped through sections 9, 10, 11, and 12 that are proposed to be added to Article 3, which is the general government. Um, now, I simply told you that these four sections had about 2,340 words that they wanted to add or that were supposed to be added to our Michigan Constitution. And I also had said that I thought that Section 9 was kind of unnecessary as a... Um, constitutional amendment, but that it might be part of a nice primer on good government. And you know what? I take that back. After reading it again, I found the fly in the ointment, if you will, that makes it really truly even unacceptable for the primer. Uh, section 9, it's entitled The Supreme Law of the Land. And the very first section, or the very first sentence of that section reads as follows. Guided by the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution and this state constitution in that order are the supreme law of the land. Hmm. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Um, Article 6 of the United States Constitution says, and I quote, This Constitution and the laws of the United States which shall which shall be made pursuant thereof, and all treaties made, or which shall be made, under the authority of the United States, shall be the supreme law of the land, and the judges in every state shall be bound thereby, anything in the Constitution or laws of any state to the contrary, notwithstanding, end quote. It does not say that the Michigan State Constitution or any state constitution is the supreme law of the land. I mean, the state constitutions are subordinate to the supreme law of the land, which is the United States Constitution, in all functions that were constitutionally delegated to the national government. I understand that anything that is not clearly 
um, authorized for the federal government to do. It is left to the states and or the people. But I just can't see how adding the Michigan state constitution as part of the supreme law of the land is in any way a good step to restore freedom. Now, the remainder of Section 9, if you read it, I think it might well be the stuff of a good middle school primer, but it's not the stuff of constitutions. Now, moving on to Section 10, it's called predictability and accessibility of law. Oh, that's good. We do need to uh, have some predictability and accessibility of the law. I want to read this to you. you got to listen carefully. We're going to take a test on, on, on what's good and what's bad and what's right and what's wrong after I'm done reading it. Here we go. All laws enacted or regulation imposed upon the people shall be reasonably understandable by the average citizen. The people shall be governed by the U.S. Constitution, this state constitution, constitutional public acts of the legislature, constitutionally initiated laws adopted by the people, Michigan court rules, and Michigan rules of evidence, and these shall constitute the law applicable to the people. It goes on to say, governmental internal operating procedures, administrative rules and regulations, executive orders, and other similar regulations shall have no regulatory effect upon the people. Thanks. Gee, thanks. Uh, And it finishes by saying the requirements of section 11 and 12 of this article also serve to promote predictability and accessibility of the law. So now, All right, here's my question. Here's the test. What's the first problem that you have with this newly created additional section that the Restore Freedom Petition Initiative would add to our Constitution if it were to be adopted? You're right. Constitutions are written to secure the God-given unalienable rights of the people and to define and limit the functions of government. Laws and regulations are supposed to be written in support of the Constitution and the limited functions assigned to the various departments of the government, not to impose laws and regulations upon the people. You get a star on your head. Oh, I've got this red, white, and blue star, you know, just right for Independence Day. Here it is. Here it is. Yep, yep. Put it on your forehead. Now, we have a long road to travel down. We know that to get back to the proper proper hierarchy of authority. We, the people, have imposed constitutional limitations on the functions of the government, not the other way around. And besides, you know, I just wonder, who gets to define the word reasonable? Who gets to define understandable? And who gets to define, like, average? You know, I'm just asking. I'm just asking. Now, I want you to listen again to all the ways in which this author of this petition wants the law to govern the people. We are to be governed by the U.S. Constitution, the state constitution, the constitutional public acts of the legislature, constitutionally initiated laws adopted by the people, Michigan court rules, Michigan rules of evidence. So, you know, it seems like we've totally lost the meaning of independence, of liberty, of freedom, of the purpose of the law. 
The law's purpose is not to micromanage the people. The law's purpose is to protect our rights. Cookbooks are not um, constitutions. People are not subjects. We the people delegate functions to the government, functions that we can do for ourselves, but that individually we can't do for the entire society of free people. It's just amazing that, 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 that we've lost that simplicity, that beauty, that balance of the Constitution as it was originally written. Now, I went back through the 1850 Michigan Constitution to see if maybe I could determine what the functions were that actually were given to the state legislature. Here's what I found. Basically, under Article 4, called the Legislative Department, the Constitution delegates the following functions to the state legislature, and that's the House and the Senate both. They can set up caucus, uh, set up censuses and reapportion districts based upon those updated censuses. They choose their own officers. They provide journals of their activities for public review. They provide for payment of postage sent to them during the session. They provide for funding fuel and stationery for their use. They appoint a chaplain. They authorize a trial by jury. They provide by law for punishment of crimes. And they are responsible for laying out highways, bridges, and culverts. To the best of my knowledge, that was all that was in the Constitution of 1850 that represented the functions authorized for the legislature of the state of Michigan to do. Now, I, again, I still haven't had time to compare and contrast those 1908 Constitution and the 1963 legislative functions that they gave to themselves but I do know that the legislature was not established to busybody themselves over every single aspect of our lives like they do now. This is not the work of a constitution. We have a lot to do to get this all straightened out. But you know what? If we would just read and understand the original Constitution along with the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments only, and read the Declaration of Independence and the Bible, you know, dads, bring your children to the dinner table tonight. Open up the Constitution. Open up the Declaration of Independence if you want to start with that. Read it with your children. Explain its value and its worth sentence by sentence. Get them excited about liberty. It's a valiant task. It really is. The Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, the first ten amendments called the Bill of Rights and the Holy Bible. That's wonderful stuff. Now, we've got to get back to our work on this um, Restore Freedom Initiative. We're still on Section 10 of Article 3, um, and that's the newly added section that says, Government internal operating procedures, administrative rules and regulations, executive orders, and other similar regulations shall have no regulatory effect upon the people. Now, those are 22 words, and I think that it really makes, like, a nice wall hanging, maybe to put in the governor's office. 
but they're useless when we have a multitude of so-called laws, so many laws that we can hardly determine what the law is today or what it might be tomorrow. And I'm paraphrasing James Madison in Federalist 62, which I think it's probably a good thing that I share the exact words with you that were written by James Madison, the fourth president of the United States, who's called the father of our Constitution. This particular issue was addressed this way in Federalist 62. It will be of little avail to the people if the laws are made by men of their own choice. If the laws be so voluminous that they cannot be read or so incoherent that they cannot be understood, if they be repealed or revised before they are promulgated or undergo such incessant changes that no man who knows what the law is today can guess what it will be tomorrow. That was written in 1766, Federalist number 62, and I thank you, President Madison. Now, this uh, section 11 that would be added to our Constitution if the Restore Freedom Petition Initiative is adopted is called Interpretation. Interpretation. And it reads like this. To enable the predictability of law and respect for the supreme law of the land, which, by the way, as a result of this amendment process, now included the Michigan Constitution as the supreme law of the land, if adopted. Um, But again, to To enable the predictability of law and respect for the supreme law of the land, the following methods of interpretation shall be utilized. Assigning the plain meaning of the text of the document. Okay. Utilizing dictionaries and primary source documents from the time of the document's enactment. So now, what, what exactly does this mean? Uh, are we talking about source documents all the way since the beginning of uh, you know the the state of Michigan coming into existence up through and including source documents from the year 2020 which is when this amendment would be enacted I don't understand it I don't understand it. Then it goes on to say, laws that relate to the same subject matter or share a common purpose shall be read together as one law. Whoa, how many pages are we supposed to read together as one law? 15 million? I mean, come on. Now we're still in section 11. And it goes on to say, if two laws lend themselves to a construction that avoids conflict, that construction controls. So I ask you, who gets to decide which of the two laws avoids conflict? And who gets to decide the definition of conflict? Now, I suppose... If we wanted to follow the administrative state right into oblivion, we could just establish a new layer of bureaucracy so that another hundred people can sit behind desks ignoring the people that are standing at the counter while they decide which of the bazillion laws that are already on the books are the same subject matter or which of the two laws avoid conflict with each other. Who can read all this stuff? What does it mean? Does this actually restore freedom? Or does it expand the administrative state? 
Now, this section 11 is the one that, that says that the more specific law controls over the general law that I discussed last weekend. And I'm not going to go through it again except to say that the original Constitution represents the general law and all these nitpicky, busybody laws that are being written to control every aspect of our lives, morning, noon, and night, those would be the more specific laws. And I do not want those laws to control our constitutional law. So then, as we move along, um, basically the coup de grace, if you will, the death blow, which is in this newly added section 12, is called transparency. Transparency. Yep. You can see right through the over 1,900 words that go on and on and on about roll call votes and FOIA requests, open meetings, closed meetings, free versus minimal fees for reports and documents, postings of meetings, detailed meeting agendas, websites, a single online court filing system that details court proceedings, decisions, orders, and actions of the court. Now, my question, of one of many questions that I have with these 1,900 words that are being proposed to be added to our Michigan Constitution, why are we constitutionally mandating that every single pleading or order of a court or register of action or other documents of the court be available for anyone and everyone to see? I mean, what is liberty enhancing about this clause? And what happened to our privacy? That's a rhetorical question. In the year 2020, there's no privacy. Maybe we'll have to ask um, Senator Ted Cruz, who signed the Patriot Act. Anyway, the um, section 12 with this 1900 words goes on to require organizational charts for all public officials and employees. It details the actions to be taken against public officials who violate their constitutional functions. And in that little paragraph, um, it says that the first violation of a public official who, um, it, it, you know, who violates their constitutional function would be considered a misdemeanor. And then the second violation of their constitutional function would be considered a felony. So now, the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony is now the number of times that a public functionary violates their constitutional duties rather than like maybe the severity of the crime. This just kind of turns things on their head and I'm very, very concerned about it. And then quite frankly, in this clause, this 1900 uh, new section, it goes on to say that if the public functionary can somehow prove that they had good faith intentions when they violated these constitutional provisions, it looks like all bets are off and they go away scot-free. So I guess this does restore their freedom. How does this work? How do we let people get away with writing this kind of stuff? And then Section 12 gives definitions to public bodies and public officials and writings and public records and 
exempt records and FOIA requests. You know, I, I, I ask you, where does this all end? What does it all mean? Well, there, there's plenty of research to be done with this initiative, and I'm not finished with it. Uh, but today's Independence Day, so you know what? We're having a lot of fun at our at our barbecues and our parties, and I'm just so happy that everybody's getting together with each other. And, and again, um, you want to make sure that you don't even worry about socialist distancing. That's what I said, socialist distancing. It's not social distancing. And, uh, and, and you know, masks represent enslavement, fresh air represents freedom. And this is what we've done today. We've continued the process of giving fresh air to this Restore Michigan or Restore Freedom petition initiative to amend the Michigan Constitution once again. We cannot let that happen until and unless we understand exactly what this this petition does. And after my reading of these past two weeks, I'm not sure that it does much good, quite frankly. I'm going to take the work that I've done these past two weeks, try to develop a PowerPoint presentation to go along with it, because if this thing makes it to the legislature, we need to make sure they do not approve it. And if they don't approve it and it makes it to the November uh, 3rd, 2020 uh, ballot, we need to defeat it. That is for sure. Um, well, I'll let you know the truth of the matter is the author of this Restore Freedom Petition Initiative um, is going to join us next Saturday. Hopefully we're scheduled to have Catherine Henry join us on June 11, uh, July 11th on the Janice Daniels Show, and I will ask her some of these questions. So don't miss next week's show. Happy Independence Day, and remember, spread the word. It's WAM. That's W-A-A-M out of Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I'm Janice Daniels. Well, if you ask me where I come from Here's what I tell everyone I was born by God's dear grace In an extraordinary place Where the stars and stripes And the eagle fly